But our purpose today and uh, in the future is always for that of worship. This isn't, this isn't a, an, an exercise in just merely gaining information, filling our minds with facts, or looking at something that, uh, that is just going to help us through the week. This is about the supremacy of God. And it always should lead us into worship. We're embarking upon a study here uh, for the next three months in the book of Nehemiah. So if you've got your Bible, if you've got a hard copy or something on a device, then go to Nehemiah. Now, I'll be using the Christian Standard uh, Bible just for your information. Um, if you have a different version, it's, it's not a bad thing. In fact, you see nuances of differences in some of the words and translation, so I always find it uh, to be helpful. But um, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1, and let me read through verses 1 through 11. This is the first chapter in this book. This is the word of the Lord. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, during the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, when I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And they said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down and its gates have been burned and when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before God, the God of the heavens. And I said, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands, let your eyes be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins that we've committed against you. Both I and my father's family have sinned. We have acted corruptly toward you and have not kept the commands, statutes, and ordinances that you gave your servant Moses. Please remember what you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and carefully observe my commands, even though your exiles are banished to the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I chose to have my name dwell. They are your servants and your people. You redeemed them by your great power and strong hand. Please, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to, to, to do that of your servants who delight to revere your name. Give your servant success today and grant him compassion in the presence of this man. At the time, I was the king's cupbearer. And Nehemiah is one of the most colorful personalities in all the Bible. Under his leadership, the Jews accomplished a feat that many considered was impossible. 
he unified a diverse army of workers who rebuilt the walls that had been demolished by Nebuchadnezzar, the walls of Jerusalem, all the while working against enemies who were trying to sabotage the work. At one point, things got so dangerous for the workers that they had to carry a weapon in one hand and carry blocks of stone in the other. And they worked hard. They worked six days a week from sunup to sunset. And in record time, 52 days, less than two months, they accomplished what they set out to do and they rebuilt those walls and their enemies were humiliated. And at every turn, every day, Nehemiah gave credit to God and thanked him for what was accomplished that day. And then after the walls had been constructed, his work was not over because he, he looked about him and he saw the conduct and the behavior of the, of the Jews and it did not line up with God's rule book. And so he confronted them and he said, look, if you're gonna call yourself the people of God, then you need to live like it. And so he began to work with them and, and he didn't tolerate any violations. For example, at one point, he stopped the businessmen from conducting business on the Sabbath. And that meant that they took a hit financially. And he got some pushback on that. But he didn't care. He said, it's wrong. We're not gonna be selling on the Sabbath. On another occasion, he found out that there were some Jews who were being drawn away into sinful marriages. And he was so incensed and upset by what he learned that he found those people and he rebuked them and he cursed them and he beat them and he pulled out their hair. And you don't wanna mess with Nehemiah. He was a man who was zealous for the Lord. He understood that he was under orders by God. He wasn't out there for a popularity contest. He had a job to do and it was a job that required leadership. And he stepped up to the plate and he did it. He did the right thing, despite the fact that there were those that were against him and tried to oppose him. He chose to obey God at every turn. And he wrote in his journal these words, remember me favorably for this, my God. When you go through the book, you see Nehemiah in prayer a lot. And you know, that's because leadership is a lonely place. And oftentimes, leadership requires you to do things that are uncomfortable to the populace. It doesn't mean that, that every, at every time that they're happy with you. And it's, it's a lonely place to be because there's a lot of stress that comes with it and responsibility. Moses understood this. Moses would often go to God and pour out his heart to the Lord because he knew that God was really the only one who understood how he felt and what his real motives were. You know how it is. Now, sometimes people don't understand. You say, but God, you know 
what I really meant by this. And you understand. Now, Nehemiah was in that, in that situation many times. And so he, he talked to God about it. You do as parents. Anybody that's in a teacher or responsibility of any sort, you understand that there are times when there's the only one who really understands how you feel is God. And you go to him in prayer. And Nehemiah did it a lot. You'll find that. Now, Nehemiah considered what he was doing an important work. Those are his words. Chapter 6, verse 3. Now, the enemies about him, and we'll be introduced to those in the coming verses next week, but, but his enemies sought to pull him away from this important work. And he told them, he said, I'm doing an important work here. I can't come. So he was laser focused. He stayed on mission. He did his job. Now, the question that I have for, for all of us is, is what, what important work has God uniquely called you to do? At this season of your life, the circumstances in which you live, what you got going on about you? Has there been anything that has come to your attention that you, you see is a necessary task that you have to act upon and you feel compelled by God to do that because it's the right thing to do? And it may be that you feel inadequate in all of this. And you go to God in prayer and you say, help me. But what is it that has come to your attention that you feel thrust upon you, pressed in to do something, and you just can't sit by? You're responsible before God to act. And it's about obedience. It's about following his guiding hand and doing his will. So what is it that for you? Maybe it's a, you're a parent. This is the season of life of raising your children. Maybe a job that you have and you're put in those circumstances and you see that this is more than a paycheck. This is actually a ministry. I'm here because God called me to be here. Well, how about you? Now, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah that we have. He wrote this. And it begins in verse 1 of chapter one, and it puts us in the setting. And that is, the setting is in the late fall. It's right about um, a little over a month ago on our calendar. It'd be like late November, early December. And that's the, the month that this took place. Nehemiah was serving the king as a cupbearer. And he says he was in this position. It's a high position. It's a position of trust. He was a confidant of the king. They knew each other very, very, very well. He saw the king every day. And he was around him. He was the one who, who gave the king his food. Nehemiah was the first line of defense against those who would want to endanger the king. Because Nehemiah was the one who tasted the food before it was given to the king. 
Well, at one point, Nehemiah's brother, Hanani, came back from a, uh, a tour of Jerusalem and came back with a report. And Nehemiah was interested in hearing how the Jews were doing, how the remnant who survived the exile, who had moved back to Jerusalem, how are they doing? And the news that he received in verse 3 was not the news that he wanted to hear. The remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Now, there's two, two things that were troubling Nehemiah when he heard this. One was the, the state of the disrepair, and the second was the state of disgrace. The first was the state of disrepair, that the walls and the gates of the city of Jerusalem were left in the same condition when they were torn down 140 years before that by Nebuchadnezzar. And they were scattered everywhere. And there were big gaps in the city wall where there was nothing. And it left the, the, the citizens exposed and vulnerable. And so it was the disrepair of the, of the walls that troubled him. The gates still bore the evidence of having been burned by Nebuchadnezzar. And so they were just there and they were just living with this. But the second was this, the state of dis, disrespect or the disgrace. And the disrespect was, was really toward God himself because this was the Lord's city, the city of Jerusalem. It was God who said, I'm putting my name upon this city. So in this state of disgrace, it was also a reflection upon the reputation of God. And it troubled Nehemiah. There was a matter of the enemies mocking and ridiculing and belittling the Lord because of the state of the city. And so he wrote in his journal, verse 4, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. And I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. Now, what I see here is the providence of God. I see the invisible guiding hand of the Lord behind the scenes, arranging for Nehemiah to do a great work. And let me tell you a number of ways that I see the fingerprints of God behind the scenes. Clearly, clearly, God was about to do a new work with his people. And he was making all of the arrangements, just like he does in your life, just like he does with legacy. He's making all of the arrangements. The first thing I see here is that God arranged for Hanani to return from Jerusalem to this fortress city of Susa, where he gave Nehemiah the report and the news about them being in great trouble and disgrace was used by God to burden Nehemiah with a heavy spirit and it drove him to fast and to begin to pray about it. So the news itself stirred him to want to do something about it with alarm 
and with grief and compassion. It was a visceral response. It was on a gut level. And God arranged for this. It's the second thing that I see is that God arranged for Nehemiah to be the cupbearer for the king years before. We don't know how old he was. We don't know how long he'd been doing this. But it was apparent that he had gained the trust of the king. So he must have been doing this for quite a long time. And so in this high position, he had access to the king. He, he was probably trusted by the king more than anybody else in the entire kingdom. And not only did Nehemiah serve the king, but he was his advisor. He was his friend. And it wasn't merely good luck that he was in this position. It, was just, it wasn't merely a, a twist of fate to say, wow, aren't you fortunate to be where you are? No, no. This was all arranged by God. Same thing in your life, too. The third thing I see here is that a God arranged for Nehemiah to be uniquely gifted with a skill set that was equal to the challenge that he had before him. He had a personality, a temperament. He had a mental abilities. He was a smart man. He had the gift of planning. He could see and say, yeah, this is what needs to be done. He had the ability to lead. People listened to him. They responded to him. And so he had these qualities about him. And then on top of that, God gave him, because of his access to the king, all of those years of watching the king lead an entire empire, and this empire stretched from what is today Pakistan all the way to Greece. That's a big stretch of the globe. That was the empire. And he watched the king. So, you know, like osmosis, you sort of like drink it in. And he learned from that. And then additionally, number four, God arranged for Nehemiah to be in this favorable position so that he would be granted resources to do the job, the lumber, the materials, the credentials, so that when he flashed that letter or flashed that card, people were impressed. Oh, that's the king's signature you're carrying there. Yeah, this is what I want. And people jumped to it. It opened doors. It silenced his enemies, and he had the resources to complete the job. And all of this was arranged by the Lord, the providence of God. And then finally, God stirred Nehemiah's heart so that he could not sleep. He had to do something. The scholar uh, J. Edwin Orr, who studied revivals around the world for a long time. And he looked for a common denominator in these spiritual awakenings. And he said, whenever God is ready to do something new with his people, he always sets them to praying. Always. And that's kind of what happened with Nehemiah. He began to pray. He was burdened. He just couldn't let it go. And so everything lined up for Nehemiah and this challenge, this assignment 
the right man, the right skills, the right time, the right tools, the right authority, and the necessary zeal to see it all the way to the end. And God arranged it all because that's the way he works. And he works in your life the same way. Where you are, what your, the company around you, the skill set, how you were skilled when you were born and, and what you carry with you, the talents. People say, man, when God was handing it out, he had a cup full for you. Yeah, well, but that's the providence of God, his, his superiority and his sovereignty. Now, this was bigger than just rebuilding walls because everything that God does is for a purpose. And it's to exalt his name and his reputation. It's that he might be honored and glorified. And there was a purpose behind this. Because all of this was, being, was moving the storyline forward when one day the Messiah would be born. And we're not there yet. We're a long ways from being there. But God was moving the storyline forward as the Jews returned back to their land as he had promised. And Nehemiah is a model for us as we see the way that he, that he operated here and the way that he worked. It's, it, you know, just as Nehemiah was put in the right place in the right time and the right circumstances, God arranges everything for your good work, your important work that maybe you're burdened for and he's given you responsibility. Let's not squander what the Lord has given to us and what is set before us. Are you available to the Lord? Listen to a number of verses as I read them. Second Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong to those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. It, he roams his eyes throughout the, the earth looking in Rutgersville, looking in Virginia, Looking in this area, he's roaming, looking for those who, who, who need strengthening and who are fully devoted to him. When Isaiah was called to an important work, the Lord asked, who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah responded, here I am, send me. Is that you? Ezekiel 22 30, the Lord said, I, I searched for a man among them who would stand in the gap before me, but I found no one. What a shame. 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul exhorts his friend, don't neglect the gift that is in you. 2 Timothy 1.6, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. All of these verses have this in common, that God has important tasks that he uniquely calls his people to, and some respond by saying, here I am, send me. And in other cases, he searches and he finds no one. How about us? Are we available to him? in the work, in the important work that he has for us in 2024. And every person present here 
as an important and a good work that God has called us to. You may be 10 years old or 16 years old or 36 or 66. You may be raising a family. You may be one, maybe you're watching today and you're restricted because of illness or a disability. But we all have an important work to do. If you're a Christian, Ephesians 2.10 states that we are God's workmanship and he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. They've already been planned, these important things. You know, and let me give you a biblical example in Acts 9.36, it cites a woman named Dorcas. Dorcas had a good work. She was a seamstress. She sewed. And it says of her that she was always doing good and acts of charity. She mended clothes. She made garments for people. And when she died and Peter visited the home, there were people lined up to tell him about what she had done for them. He said, you see this I'm wearing? Dorcas made that for me. See what my kids have got? She did that. And one after another began to report about a woman who sewed. That was her good work. That's what God had called her to do. It was an important work. And God has an important work for all of us in keeping with the season of our life, in keeping with our abilities, and our experience and our living situation. So don't minimize what God has for you, what he's called you to do. Don't minimize it by saying, well, it's unnecessary. Somebody else can do it, or it's beneath me, or I don't consider that to be something I should do. I'm overqualified. Never say that. You know, let's not do what Moses did and said, you know, I'm not the guy. Find somebody else. No, we don't want to do that. It's an important and a good work that God has called us to do in our family. It may be as a child. What is an important work for a child to do? An important work for a child is to obey their parents and to fulfill their chores and to serve others and to do it for Jesus. You may be working in this community in a job in some kind of capacity, laboring, and you're doing it because God has called you to that place. Maybe it is in the season of life, and I've known those because of the restrictions, that their important work is laboring in intercessory prayer. And they feel at that stage of their life, that's what they're called to do is to pray. And they've got their booklet. They can show you who they're praying for. And maybe serving here at Legacy, serving toddlers, serving tables. It may be that what it may be that you're being called or you are engaged in something that you're doing very quietly behind the scenes and really there's very few if anybody who even knows about it here but it's the important work that God has called you to. A question that I think is paramount and should be on the minds of all of us is the question what kind of person does God use? Are you the man, are you the woman, the kind of person that God would use? And let me list 
several things that I see here in Nehemiah that would indicate what kind of person God uses. First of all, God uses those who are zealous for his name and his reputation. Zeal is like a fire that can't be quenched. I mean, does it bother you when, when Christ's name is being mocked? Does it stir you to want to act when you hear about the word of God being twisted and misused in order to justify sin or greed? Zeal causes us to want to do something because we love the Lord and we love the cause of Christ. Psalm 69.9 says, The zeal for your house has consumed me. And the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. He's talking about God. He's saying, look, they're insulting you and now it's being redirected to me because of my zeal for you, which I guess is a lesson to us about the cost of zeal is that when we're zealous for the cause of Christ, those who would mock and ridicule Christ, it begins to find its way to us. And there's the real cost. Let my heart be moved by the things that move the heart of God. So what is it that fires you up? What gets you energized? The second, I think, a quality that we find in those who are useful to the Lord is that God uses those who first fast and pray before they act. Maybe you're of a personality where you're driven to act and you're a temperament to just jump in and want to do something. But I think that there are many, many times when what God is calling us to do is just simply to wait before him and, and wait in prayer. And it's easy to sidestep this. You know, there are some of us that are, when we see a need, we're compelled. The first thing we say, well, let me get my phone because I have a list of people I can call. I've got some resources. I've got some contacts. I think we can do something about that. When maybe in that particular case, rather than doing the work right away, we need to wait before the Lord and find what his mind is on it. And Nehemiah did that. He engaged in prayer for a long time, for actually four months. He prayed about this. The third thing that we see is that God uses those who have a high view of his majesty and of his greatness. You see this in verse 5. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awe-inspiring God, and then reach down to verse 10. He said, you redeemed by them by your great power in your strong hand. So this was an enormous task that was before him, but he knew something of the all-sufficiency of God. To Abraham, God said, I am God Almighty. What does that mean? That means that there is nothing impossible for the Lord. God uses those who have a high view of his majesty and his greatness. We see this kind of language in the book of Daniel. When Daniel, speaking of a future day, said the people who know their God will be strong and take action. Because of their high view of God, it puts steel in their spine and they act according to their high view of God because great thoughts of God gives us the energy to step out by faith. 
Another quality of those who are used by God is that God uses those who acknowledge their sin and confess it and deal with their soul. Nehemiah wasn't prepared until he had prayed and confessed the sin of himself and his forefathers and taken it before the Lord. And there are times we need to simply pray, search me, God, and know my heart and see if there is any offensive way in me. And that's the prayer we go. Before we even act, say, God, take a look inside. Am I ready for this? Or is there some sin I need to deal with in my life? And then uh, 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 the next one, not finally, but the next one is that God uses those who know how to patiently wait before him. As I said, Nehemiah waited for four months. It wasn't until spring that we come to the next part of the story, the account, when it was time. But for four months, he simply waited. And during those four months, his, his vision was clarified. His faith was built up. He dealt with his own sin. His character was enriched. You, you know, when you're, you're a person of action and you kind of have that get her done mentality, you know, it's, it's hard to wait and I would imagine that Nehemiah had that kind of personality. He doesn't look like somebody just sitting on his lazy boy chair. He was one who wanted to get things done. But he had to wait. And he waited for four months. And then finally, the last thing is God uses those who boldly ask for success. And we find this in verse 11, where he's, he's praying and he says, give your servant success today. He knew that what he was praying about wasn't a small matter. That it would require something that only God could do within the heart of the king to even grant him the, the you know, access to, to, to leave and to go back to Jerusalem. And, and, and during those months, Nehemiah's faith was enlarged and he said, God, would you grant to me success in this? This is a big work. And we could do that as a parents in the place where you are occupied during the week and say, God, you're calling me to an important work here, but would you give to me success in this? Well, let me sum it all up today by asking the question, what have we learned here? Well, one of the things that we've learned here is that God calls us to a work. And it's an important work. It's, an, it's a work that he's arranged. And, and what, what need, maybe in 2023, there was a need that came to your attention. And you can't shake it. Every time you turn around, there it is. And you think about it, you dream about it. You'd like to walk away, but you can't. What has God brought to your attention? And you feel compelled that you have to do something. That God has called you to this. And this is the year. This is the time. And this is what he intends for you to do. Are you still stirred with a, a zeal for the Lord? 
And this is not about self-promotion. This is about promoting the cause of Christ. And then do you feel that you, you need to pray about this? Is J. Edwin Orr right when he said, when God is about ready to do a new work with his people, he sets them to praying? Do you feel compelled to pray about this? So let's, let's not allow our age or our circumstances or whatever excuses that we might have to prevent us from acting and moving ahead on what God has called us to do. When you're serving the Lord in the place that he has arranged, there comes a great joy and a delight. And nothing is uncommon and, and, uh, and just, you know, or nothing is just uh, routine when it's something that God has arranged for us. Because when we're doing something that is honoring to the Lord, it becomes a sacred work. So today, as we kind of close and we, we wrap it up, what is it that God has brought to your attention? I'm at a certain season of my life. I turned the corner in, in the summer. And things changed for me. And now I am where I am. But I'm not done. Hence, preaching. But I'm at a different season. I have a different level of strength. I don't have the stamina I did when I was 40. I got to preach another sermon here. I was talking to my wife, saying, man, I don't know I can do it. I had to eat my Wheaties this morning. But you know how it is. We're all at a different season. But we all have been called to a work, and, a, and we all have something that's set before us. And God said, this is it. Do your job. Do what I'm calling you to do and walk by faith and not by sight. Walk by faith and let God direct your steps. Well, let's pray.